Thank you so much for joining us here at Word Baptist Church. I'm Jamar Andrews. I'm the lead pastor, and I get the great privilege of shepherding here. I'm excited that you're joining us today for this sermon. You're about to receive text-driven preaching. My prayer is that God speaks to you through this time as you listen to this message. So enjoy, and God bless. to the book of Revelation chapter 14, Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 through 20 is where we will spend our time together this morning as we continue our series entitled Unveiled, the Revelation of Jesus Christ. And we have been working our way uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter uh, through this wonderful book as we have been zeroing in on the way in which our Lord and Savior is going to bring things to uh, the proper conclusion, how the Lord is going to take all the hardships and difficulties and rebellion and sin and salvation and grace and goodness and how all these things will come uh, to their proper end. Today, we are in the third section of the book. The book itself uh, has a structure to it. And today we are in the third movement, the things that are to come. And so each time we have gathered to look at this book together, we have understood that there is a great promise that comes along with the study of the book of Revelation. As a matter of fact, early in chapter one, it says that there's a blessing for those who hear it, read it and actually heed it. And so when we come together, there's a, a blessing that I believe the Lord wants to pour out uh, on our lives as we seek to understand his revealed will. And as we look today, uh, in this particular passage, we're going to see, if you will, the table of contents of what's going to come up uh, as we uh, finish out the book. You, you see, we have covered a lot of ground in chapters 1 through 14, whether it's seeing the work of our Lord Jesus Christ through the church or uh, seeing the heavenly visions, the throne room, or whether it's been the judgments that have taken place, the sealed judgments or the trumpet judgments whether it's the interlude in which we were reminded about the reliability of the word of God or his faithfulness to seal and take care of those who have surrendered their life to him, we've seen a whole lot. We've seen a lot of hardship and difficulty in the midst. We've also seen God's faithfulness all the way throughout. And today will be no different. Today will be no different as we look to the word of God to see how these last judgments, these last difficulties, how they will fall and what will happen. But even in the midst of this, you will see God's grace and goodness on full display. Last week, we talked about the importance of worship and the understanding that the Lord, uh, he is going to be faithful to complete what he said he would do. And so today we will see just how he will go about those things. You know, when it comes to religion or maybe Christianity or other 
ways in which people like to believe, you know, if we're not careful, we can have what I like to say is a buffet type faith. Maybe you've run into somebody or maybe you yourself, you might run into somebody that's a buffet type individual where when it comes to religion or to philosophy or to belief systems, you kind of like to treat it like a buffet. You know how it is when you go to a buffet, when you get your plate, you pay your, your flat fee and then you roll by the buffet. And if you like chicken, you get chicken. If you don't like chicken, you don't get chicken. If you like fish, you get fish. You don't like fish, you, you, you don't get it. And you make a decision based off of what's there, based off of your preference. And many times in our world, we run into individuals that like to come to the Bible and they like to have a buffet type of religion or a buffet type of study of the Bible. And they read things and like, you know what? I like that promise right there, Lord. And I like the fact that you will uh, give me the desires of my heart. I'm going to take that one. I don't like the fact that I need to live in repentance and holiness. No, I don't want that. And if we're not careful, we can have a buffet type of faith where we try to take the things that we like and we reject the things that we don't. You see, the reality, though, is that this is a package deal. And I'm going to use a very spiritual quote that we say all the time to the children around here. And if you know it, you can finish it with me. You get what you get and you don't throw a fit. <laughs> and so when it comes to God's word, he has laid out to us, for us, uh, the will and the plan. And his desire is that we would understand that we, we get what we get and we don't throw a fit. That he has not been vague. He has not been ambiguous. He has been very clear in his expectation and in his will and in his plan. And so as we go through this passage today, we're going to see some very difficult things. I'm just going to warn you on the, on the front end. We're going to see some very difficult things. And so I just will ask you already out of the gate, do you want the good news first or do you want the bad news first? You know, if you've ever been asked that question, many people have been asked that question. You want the good news and the bad or the bad news? I got bad news and good news. Which one do you want first? Some people say, give me the bad first. So that way I got the good to look forward to. And some people say, give me the good. So that way it'll help me as I hear the bad. Whatever you like, we're going to give you both the good news and the bad news today. The good news and the bad news. And this news is going to be delivered by six angelic hosts. The title of today's sermon is Angelic messengers. And as we look today at the word of God, what we will find is that there's a strong message that has to be communicated. And it's going to be communicated in very vivid language to remind us of the reality of the wrath and judgment of God. Now, I know that you know, y'all came in here to be encouraged, and I believe it's going to be very encouraging. But can I just tell you what you're going to find is that God, whenever he speaks to us, he always keeps it real. And so because he keeps it real, he must be willing to tell us the truth about what is to come. And so that's what's before us today. The reality of what's to come. Our passage this morning lays out in two major sections. We're going to look at verses uh, 6 through 13 as the first section, and we're going to see that angels announce the judgment of God. And then our last movement, verses 14 through 20, we're going to see that angels announce the wrath of God. So they, they announce the judgment of what's getting ready to happen, and then they also uh, lay out the process in which it will happen. So we get an opportunity to see this today. So I hope you've had an opportunity to find Revelation chapter 14. 
I'm going to read our first section, and then we'll unpack it. Revelation 14, 6 says this. And I saw another angel flying in midheaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heaven and the earth and sea and springs of waters. And another angel, a second one, followed saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon, the great. She who has made all the nations drink of the wine of her passion, of her morality. Then another angel, a third one, followed them saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented, fire and brimstone, in the presence of the holy angels, in the presence of the Lamb. The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night. Those who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark, his name. Here's the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit, so that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow with them. The first movement we're going to see is that angels announce the judgment of God. All throughout the book, angels have been active in the will and plan of God. We have seen them, just to name a few, we have seen them being used to blow trumpets to initiate certain judgments. We have seen them uh, fight and battle against Satan. We, we have seen them proclaim certain events and certain things. We have seen them be willing to bring about the cataclysmic struggles. We will future see them pour out bowls of wrath. We have seen their activity. But in this section, we are brought into six specific angels. We have looked at three, but uh, be six total specific ways in which God is going to bring about this work. The first one that we are introduced to in verse six has a special, special agenda. We see that this particular angel in his special agenda, uh, he has come to proclaim a great message. He proclaims a gospel. As a matter of fact, it says an eternal gospel. And if you look at the structure of this, you will find three things to be true about this particular angel. Number one, you see the perspective of the angel. It says that this, this particular angel was in the mid heaven. It was in a, in a high and lifted up position. We're going to cover that here in just a second. But you see, it was also uh, preaching. It was preaching, uh, having the eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth. 
Now, we have seen this movement, this idea of every tribe, nation, tongue, language. We've seen this construction, which means that God is not uh, being prejudiced. God is not holding out on people. God is wanting all people to be able to come to a saving knowledge of who he is. And we see this, this angel in the mid heaven, I believe he's there for two primary reasons. Number one, for perspective. So that way, the people of this earth will be able to see and hear clearly. And then secondly, for protection. If you remember before this moment, there had already been a, a battle in the heavens in which Satan, he was thrown down. And so now he has to occupy the earth. And so I believe that he's there. He is protected from the Antichrist, the, the false prophet and Satan. And so thus we see this message. This message has been given and he is put there for protection and for perspective. So that way the world can see, hear and know and understand the gospel. Now, when you think about this, how gracious this is of God, that even up to the last minute before the, the final tribulation, before the final judgment, before the bowls are poured out, before the final battle of Armageddon, before all these things that God is intentionally preaching the gospel, he's allowing an angel to preach the gospel so that humanity would be saved. It's phenomenal. Phenomenal. You see, when you look at this, there's some key things that we have to recognize here. First, the, the way in which it's described, it says an eternal gospel. Throughout the Bible, you'll see different names used for the same thing. So whether it's the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether it's the gospel of grace, or whether it's the eternal gospel or, or God's gospel, th these, these phrases are used all to describe the same thing, the same message. It's the same message that you believe, that I believe, the same message that changes and transforms us. And so I, I felt like it'd be important, it'd be a, a, a shame to preach about the gospel and not actually preach the gospel. You know, there are a lot of people that love to use the word gospel. We use gospel all the time, gospel music, gospel community, gospel. We use it all the time. But can I just tell you, it's possible to use the word but not actually understand the meaning. And so let's just get the meaning. In 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, it tells us what the actual meat of the gospel is. What in the world is this message? What, what is it? What is the message or this eternal gospel? You ready for 1 Corinthians 15, 1 says this. Now, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and which also you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Here it is. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was, you ready for it? Raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. That, that's the message. Straightforward, as simple as it gets, the gospel message. Now, when we think about this, this particular angel, he is proclaiming this eternal gospel and he is wanting people to know. He's giving them an opportunity to come to know the truth. And it's very important that we come to know the truth because people in that day will be just like people in this day and they won't understand the gospel. They will think that, that God is trying to, to, to hurt them or he's mad. He's getting ready to be mad. But right now there's some grace that's going on. And they will think this. They will think that it's, it's their good works. It, they'll think that it's the things that they do that make them saved, that bring them into a relationship. So let's just, we talked about the content of the gospel. Now let's look at the application of it just quickly. In Titus 3, 3 through 8, gives us the application of it. So you see the content of it, but let's look at the application of the gospel. Titus 3, 3 says this, for we also once were foolish ourselves. Y'all read that? Anybody willing to, to, to be honest up in here? 
Yeah, at least I see them hands. Fantastic. Same here. We were also foolish ourselves. How, in, in what way? We were disobedient. We were deceived. We were enslaved to various lusts and, and pleasures, spending our life malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. You ready for it, though? Gospel. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for who? Mankind appeared. What did he do? He saved us. A ragtag group of us. He saved us. You ready for it? Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. Did y'all catch that? It's not that you weren't doing nice things. It's not that you weren't doing good things. But can I just tell you, the reason why he brought you into the relationship was not based off those things. He didn't do it, but he didn't do that. Notice this, but according to his mercy. But according to whose mercy? His mercy. How did he do it? By the washing and regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. There's not a drop of water in that verse. Baptism can't do that. Water baptism can't do that. The Holy Spirit can do that. The only one whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. You ready for it now? So that being justified, that means just as if you never sinned, brought into a relationship with God by his grace. Notice this. He, he would we'd be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently. How does he want us to speak? Confidently. That message, confidently, so that those I believe in God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for man. See, it's that gospel. It's, it's this gospel. God has continued to show himself a witness throughout all this tribulation, throughout all these hardships, throughout all these difficulties, whether it was signs in the heavens, whether it was 144,000 preaching machines, whether it was two witnesses preaching, whether it's now an angel, whether it's tribulation saints, he has continued to show himself a witness to the truth of how lives can be changed and impacted. You know, I have people ask me all the time, you know, preacher. So how is this the case? You know, Jesus, you, you know, what about what about like the folks in the Old Testament? And what about, you know, how is this gospel? How, how did this work for them? You know, what about the people that never heard the gospel in the Old Testament? Or what about the people that didn't hear the gospel? Like, you know, they live in remote places and all those other things. Anybody ever thought about that? Anybody ask you that question? What about them? What about them Old Testament folk? This, this gospel. Did you catch the, the, the descriptor of it for us today? What kind of gospel is it? An eternal gospel. Did y'all catch that? So meaning that, that this didn't just happen. It didn't just come to the mind of God in the New Testament or whenever Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem or whenever Jesus Christ walked in the streets of Jerusalem or when Jesus Christ was hung on a cross. Can I tell you, this has always been the plan. And so how in the world were people in the Old Testament saved? Y'all ready for this? The same way we are. This, everybody's saved the same way. You ready for it? By faith. Everybody that will be saved will be saved the same way, and it's by faith. Before Jesus Christ came, lived the sinless life, died on the cross, was buried and rose up, how were they saved before that happened? They were saved by faith, looking to it, believing that it was going to be. How are we saved now that it's happened? We are saved by faith, looking back to it, believing that it's already happened. So the same movement, the same way, the same gospel works. It worked then, it works now, and will, it will work all the way through eternity and will hold us. Be willing to trust it. See, God's faithful. And nobody will be able to change that. So he, he is faithful. And even in the midst of all this difficulty that's getting ready to come, there's a gospel that is being preached. God is giving people an opportunity to be able to be saved all, all the way up to the very last. But can I tell you, 
You know, when you look at this thing, there's a problem. You see, people in that day, just like in our day, don't understand. In 2 Peter 3, 9, it, it says this, that God, he, he desires, he didn't, want any, he, he didn't want us to perish. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow about his promises of some count slowness, but is patient toward us, not wishing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. That's his desire. But the sad thing is that there will be individuals that, that don't want to come. They don't want to come to repentance. And you see from our text that, that this angel, notice what he says in verse 7. He says this, and he said with a loud voice, fear God and glorify and give him glory. Fear God and give, and give him glory. Glorify him because the hour of his judgment has come. Can I just tell you, if you want to know how to live to please God, there are really two ways. You fear him and you bring him glory. Fearing God means to take him seriously. Let me say it in, in, in another way. It means to love and to respect him. If you want to fear him, it means to take him seriously. To take him seriously means to love and respect him. To give him glory means to give him honor. Or let me say it another way. It means to bring attention to him. So if you want to know how to live your life on this side of things is you want to take him seriously by loving and respecting him. And you want to draw attention to him. You, you want to make much. You want to bring honor to him. So whenever he, this angel says this, that's what he's saying to these people, just like he's saying to us, listen, fear God, bring, bring, bring honor and glory and respect to him. And then he tells us something about him, because the whole issue here is that they, they have not even got on, on, on the first step in seeing him in creation. That, how many of you know that for many people, the first step to coming into a relationship with God is the first you have to be willing to acknowledge that he is, that he exists. That, that's the first piece. And many times we sidestep that and we want to give a whole lot of other stuff credit like it just all came together. There was this big bang. Or there was this goo and ooze and came to you and we want to do all these other things. But the first step, the first step to, to come into a relationship with him is that you have to be willing to admit and to acknowledge that he exists. And what he does is he gives us all this creation to be able to come to that conclusion. God, he gives us all this creation to be able to come to this conclusion that he exists. If you don't believe me, I just want you to look with me in the Old Testament in Psalm 19 verses 1 through 4. Because in our text, he says he's worshiping him by the heavens and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. I want you to read with me. Notice this. Psalm 19 verse 1 says this. The heavens are doing what? Telling. Did y'all see that? The heavens are doing what? Telling. The heavens are telling of the glory of God. Their expanse, they're declaring the work, the work of his hands. Day to day, they, it pours forth speech. And, and night to night, notice it's revealing what? Knowledge. It's revealing knowledge. There, there is no speech notice. You, you know, the, the, when was the last time a tree came to you and said, psst, psst, hey, 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 hey. Right. When was the last time a star said, hey, I see you down there. That, that's not what he's saying. It's not in that way. It's saying there's no, no, no speech, not in that way, no, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. But catch it now. Their lines has, has gone throughout all the earth. Their utterances to the end of the world. In them, he has placed the tent for the sun. He, what he's doing, he's saying that when you see these things, when you see the majesty of creation, the beauty of creation, the power of creation, what it should naturally cause you to do is to say, huh, I wonder what the creator like. Boy, that's something. I, you know, when you look at how things are put together, 
It should make you think about where it originated, the originator, the architect, the one who designed it. And that's what he's saying here. But there's a problem, though, that, that in our lives, many times we don't we don't take that proof. And these individuals were not willing to take the proof. He says, listen, make sure you worship the one who created. So if you want to know, these angels believe in creation. These angels are creationists. These angels believe that God created it all. The Bible un unapologetically, that's the position of the Bible. And so we have to be willing to take that first step and believe that he is, that he's a reward of all who seek him. But that's not the only angel, though. In verse eight, there's a second one. It's a second one that says this, and another angel, a second one followed, saying, what did it say? Fallen, fallen. Fallen, fallen is, is Babylon the great. She who has made all the nations drink of the wine of her passion or her immorality. Now, this seems odd, an odd construction here, but this is the table of contents to set us up for what's getting ready to come. We're going to deal with this Babylon here in just in just real maybe a couple of weeks. All right. But can I just tell you this table of contents? Don't miss it. There are two things here that we have to see a a false religious system and a false economic and political system. And so Babylon not only is a place, but it's also a system or way of thinking. And so what happens here is this fallen, fallen is a clear way to say that God is going to do it. And when he does it, he's going to do it quickly. There's a system that's going to be be destroyed. There's a judgment that's coming. Now, if you take a note, I just want you to jot down a couple of things. Just jot down Genesis 10, 9 and Genesis 11, 1 through 4, because this tells you about kind of the genesis of the original Babylon, where this system of religion came from. And you're going to, when you read these passages, it's going to bring you to the Tower of Babel. How many of y'all remember the Tower of Babel? Yeah. Tower of Babel, reason why whenever that passage was being read in Hindi, we couldn't understand it if we didn't speak Hindi. Anybody say, what in the world is that? Right. But we had the text underneath it. That, that, that event is a reason why even to this day, we still don't understand it. But when you see this, you see that God, he, he dispersed the languages. He dispersed the people because they had in their heart a false religious system. And they had one individual, Nimrod, who was over it. And so thus he, he separated out humanity. So that way they would not have the power and the thrust of numbers to be able to push forward this false system. And so that's why when you travel all over the world, you still see idolatry and you see all these temples still all over the world because he drove them out. So that way, the power and the concentration wouldn't be as strong. We, we do that even to this day. By show of hands, any teachers in the house? Let me just see. Anybody teach? OK, fantastic. Whenever you have a group of students and they're all together and they're disruptive, what do you do? Do you let them just keep hanging and disrupting things? No. What do you do? You separate them bad boys out. Oh, should I say bad girls? I don't want to feel like I'm picking on a boy. You separate them out. So that way the concentration of the mess won't be as strong. And we see that. We see that, that was God's decision. And so when he does this, understand that this system moved throughout all the earth. And so now he attacks it. He attacks the system. And he does it in a very intentional way. That's the gospel message where Jesus Christ comes in every tribe, nation, tongue, language. He comes in and he brings them into an understanding, a relationship with him to be changed and transformed. He says, fallen, fallen is Babylon. You see, he's going to bring judgment. Did you, did you read that? He's going to bring judgment. And the reason why he's going to bring judgment is because this idea has, has moved throughout humanity. And it's time now for reckoning. It's time to see things come together. You see, this second angel lets us know 
that there's going to come a time where even the system, the religious system, the political system, all those things, the Antichrist, the false prophet, all those things that he has established, as invincible as it seems, it will be destroyed. And there will only be one kingdom. We see another angel in verse 9. Another angel, this is the third one. Then another angel, a third one, followed them saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Now, when we, when we hear this idea of wrath and torment, you know, this is part of the buffet faith people that they don't like to, they just pass right on by this. Can I just tell you? And I know that in our day, I'm probably not going to win friends and influence a whole lot of people by what I'm getting ready to say. But can I just tell you, it's right here, plain and simple for us to understand that the, the Bible is very clear that there is going to be wrath. And this wrath, this wrath is going to be the judgment of God and it will not be diluted. When it says mix the full cup, it means that God is not diluting it down with compassion. There's going to come a time. Let me just tell you, for those who have worshipped the false prophet and the beast and who have rejected God, that they will not be able to be saved. Did y'all hear what I just said? Now, I know we normally like, so we got to watch out for this 66. We can't be putting nothing on our body. We can't look. Don't be, don't be trying to get me here. I ain't trying to be snuck. Let me just tell you, it will be clear. It will be a, a decision that the individuals that make that, they will make it. They will make that decision themselves. They won't, they won't have anybody duping them. They will know very clearly what the implications are because God will have made it clear. You see, that's one of the things I love about God. Whenever he judges, he judges you based off of what you know. What has he revealed to you? What has he, what has he shown you? That's where he's holding you accountable. And many times we think God's trying to give us a raw deal, but he's already pulled forth speech. He's already communicated. He's already shown us, but we, we like to go the other way many times. And so he says, because you make that decision, did you see it? The full strength of his anger and his wrath will be laid out. He says it's, it's going to be torment. Did you catch it? In verse 10, it's, it's torment. How? with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb. I, I know we don't like to talk about hell. We don't like to talk about the place of separation. But can I tell you, the Bible talks about it. Jesus Christ talked about it. So we're going to talk about it. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing you any service if I didn't keep it real in here to say that the Bible talks about this. This wrath, we see it in the Old Testament, Genesis 19, 24, and 25, whenever Sodom and Gomorrah get judged, fire and brimstone. And, they, and God uses them as a type or as a picture of what's going to happen. He, it's a small local wrath of destruction to show what's going to happen globally. And we have to be willing to understand that. And, and understand, I don't, I don't sit up here and I'm out of fire and brimstone. You don't see me with a sandwich board hollering and pointing at everybody, you going to hell? Like, that's not, that's not me, Okay. Why do I need to yell at somebody because I already know where they're going? Why I need to yell at them and tell them where they're going? Why don't I yell at them and tell them how not to get there? But that's the topic for a whole nother day. But can I just tell you, I want to share with you a real live account of this, of this understanding. Jesus in Luke 16, 19 through 31, he wanted to make it real clear for us so we would understand and some people think this is just a parable, meaning a story that doesn't have actual people in it. That God was trying to use to teach us something. But can I tell you, when you follow the other parables, he doesn't use anybody's name. 
He gives a descriptor, a woman or a man or somebody. But in this one, we see a name. And I believe he's trying to remind us of this reality of separation and destruction. So in Luke 16, 19 through 31, let, let me just read it to you. It says this. Now, there was a rich man. And can I tell you, his problem wasn't that he was rich. His problem was that he, he didn't love and know God. That was, that was his problem. He doesn't go to hell because he's rich. And the poor man doesn't go to heaven because he's poor. Let me just clear that up real quick. Now, there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple. That brother was GQ, you understand? And fine linen. George is living in the splendor. How long? Every day. And a poor man named Lazarus, this is not the same Lazarus that Jesus raised up, it's a different Lazarus. Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores. He longed to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died. Can I just tell you, death is no respect of persons. That's a topic for a whole nother day, but the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. We're going to get there in a minute. And the rich man also died and was buried. Now, this, this captivates me. Did you catch it? It says that the poor man died. It said, it had nothing, it said nothing about his burial, though. Did y'all catch that? So most of the time, what it, the, the, the idea here is that he was so poor that there was not even a, a burial for him, that his body just decayed. It was laid out there. He was carried to Abraham's bosom, says a rich man, he also died. Now catch this now, in Hades, that's another way of saying that, Sheol, the grave. He, talking about the rich man, he lifted up his eyes, being, say it with me, in torment. We, did we see that in our text? We saw that, being in torment. Now catch this, and saw Abraham far away. And who else? And they was kicking it, you know what I'm trying to tell you? Saw Lazarus in his bosom, a place of closeness. Talking about the rich man here, and he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Too late. And send Lazarus, he already still commanded, send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. In this what? Flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise, Lazarus' bad things. But now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, there's a great chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you, say it with me, will not be able, and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers in order that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will Repent. But he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone raises from the dead. Now, when we see this, I understand some very key things here. 
that this place, this place of torment, Hades is, is the, the name we see in the New Testament, Sheol in the Old Testament. So I just want to give you a little bit of, of history here because before the cross, before the resurrection, the righteous and the unrighteous, the saved and the unsaved, they all went to Sheol, went to this place, Hades, all right? But it had two sides to it. It had Abraham's bosom and had the place of torment. Everybody went to the same place. There were two sides. There was a chasm between that separated the two. Now, hear me now. The place of torment, it was a place of torment then, it's a place of torment now. Now, whenever Jesus Christ in his glory, whenever he rose up, came back from life, what happened is, is the place of Abraham's bosom or the nice place, the good place, he raided that bad boy and allowed folks to be able to go to heaven. And that's the beautiful thing of the resurrection. That's why whenever you and I die now on this side of the cross, on this side of believing to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There's not a holding place. So that's the beautiful thing of what he does. But this place, the torment part of Hades, is still existing. It's still happening right now. So whenever you die, if you die apart from Christ, that's where you go. Now, ultimately, what will happen from there, we're going to see as the book of Revelation develops, is that place is going to get a whole lot hotter when it's placed in the lake of fire. And so understand there are a lot of misconceptions about hell, a lot of misconceptions. People think that it's just one big party down there. Like it's one big tailgate all in one. One big, you know, debauchery of drinking and doing whatever you want to do. Do not believe that. Like that, they think that the enemy down there, he calling the shots. He the best DJ up in that thing. And they got the best drinks going all up in there. And there's all the bad songs you weren't supposed to listen to. And all the bad lives, you just go down there and have a time down there. Do not believe that. Because we have an opportunity to see and hear. So it's a place of agony and torment. We got to hear from an individual who is there. You hear what I'm trying to tell you? I, I don't intend to see brother, brother Rich Man down there. You hear what I'm trying to tell you? We got a chance to hear, hear from him. And you heard what he said. He said, send him back to my brothers. I got five brothers. He said, send them back. And Abraham said, no, I'm not going to do it. If they won't believe the word of God, then it don't matter. Even if the miraculous happens, they will not believe. One of the most fascinating statements when it comes to the reliability of Scripture to be able to teach somebody how to be saved. That it's not about miracles. It's about believing the word of God. We see this. Understand that this is a, is a place of torment and agony. So understand whenever people try to come and tell you that hell is not real or it's a temporary place, annihilation, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says it's a real place in which you are conscious. You know what's happening, what's going on. And the sad thing about it is you don't have to go there if you don't want to. We see, we see though, that right smack dab in the middle of all of this, the Lord gives us some encouragement. Anybody need a little encouragement? Somebody, but you're preaching hard up there. You talk about hell now. That's a little old school preacher. Somebody need a little encouragement, right? Verses 12 and 13 are that. It says, here's the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. He says, I heard a voice from heaven saying, right, blessed are the dead. Now, when you read that, somebody, most time when I read, I go, huh? Because we normally don't think like that. Blessed are the dead. Now, we blessed are the alive, right? What's the dead stuff? Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors for their deeds. Follow with them. You see, this break, almost like a pause, highlights the saints here. 
and the fact that it is worth it to follow the Lord. That even in the midst of all these difficult things, that there, it is worth it to follow the Lord. And he says very clearly, the perseverance of the saints, they kept his commandments and their faith in Jesus. They, they kept his commandments and their faith in Jesus. You know, let me just submit to you that the Lord Jesus already told us in John 14, 15, there's something miraculous that he said in John 14, 15 about how we, how we are to live our life for him. He says this in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Notice this, notice the construction. He, it doesn't go command and love. What does it go? Love, command, you catch it? If you love me. So we do what we do. We follow him. The deeds that we do, the rules that we follow are not because we try to get his love. It's because we already have it. We are already in love with him. We do what we do out of love because of love. And so we see this, that they loved him. They, they, they had their faith in Jesus. Notice it's very specific here. Not their faith in God, not their faith in the church, not their faith in people. Specifically, faith in Jesus. Specifically. And, and we see this. And, you know, I'm just going to submit to you and then we'll move to our last movement. But I'm just going to submit to you that when he says this, this is a very important construction about this idea of faith. He says, and their faith in Jesus, because everybody, you know, even the folks you don't know, they all exercise faith. Every human being exercises faith. The person that says, you know what? I like science and, you know, I'm into all of the science and to, into logic. Can I just tell you, you know where they place their faith? In science, that's where they place their faith. The person that tells you I'm an atheist, I, I, I believe that there is no God. You, you know where they place their faith? They have placed their faith in what they believe is that there is no God. The atheist believes, i.e., faith, there is no God. And so the question is not whether or not we have faith. The question is, is the object of our faith. That's what is the difference between faiths. It's the object. And is that object, is that object able to come through on what it promises. You see, very clearly, they, they were able to see it, and, and Jesus Christ was able to come through on what he promised. How do you know? Because he says, listen, blessed are the dead, not the alive. So for us, death is not the end. Can I just tell you, it's the beginning. It's the beginning of walking in a new way with the Lord. He has come through on what he promised. And he says, listen, the deeds, the things that you have done, they follow, listen, your reputation, it, it's going to precede you. It's going to get there with you, and he's going to see it. We can trust him. It's the object of our faith. It's the object. Whenever Jesus Christ victorious as the object of our faith, he took the sting of death. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 53, 58. It says that he took the sting of death. And so thus we don't have to worry about a sting in us. You see, I, when I think about death, I'm, it makes me think about a bee. Once a bee stings one individual, guess what? Its stinging days are over. You hear what I'm trying to tell you? It gets one sting. And death is the same way. Whenever it stung Jesus Christ, death stung Jesus Christ, the sting of death is forever gone. Now, that doesn't mean it's not buzzing around and scaring folks. That doesn't mean that people are not going from this here body into eternity. But can I tell you, the, the power of sin and death and the law have been taken captive by Christ, so you no longer have to fear, fear the consequences that come with death. That's what he's saying. But can I tell you, when we look at this, we have to understand that there's still the wrath to come. The wrath to come. Our second movement, verses 14 through 20, give us this. And I'm just going to read it. And, and the language here is language of, of, of a harvest. 
But this harvest is going to be very different than any other harvest you, you've ever, ever read about. Look at me in verse 14. It says this, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and sitting on the cloud was one like a son of man, having a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, crying out with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud. Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, because the harvest of the earth is ripe. Then he who sat on the cloud, he swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth it was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, and he also had a, had a sharp sickle. Then another angel, the one who has power over fire, came out from the altar and he called with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle saying, put in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth because her grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle to the earth and gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth and threw them into the great wine press of the wrath of God. And the wine press was trodden outside the city and blood came out from the wine press up to the horses, the, the bridles from the a distance of 200 miles. Now, when we see this, let me just hit this quickly. That we see the wrath. This is a, a short condensed version of what's getting ready to happen in chapters 15, 16, 17, and 18, where we see the judgment of the, the bold judgments, this particular sickle. You notice there were two times in which there was a sickle coming to the earth. We see the bold judgments, and then we're going to see this particular battle. Now, this idea of the one, the son of man, is very important because that's language from Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Daniel 7, 13. And in Daniel 7, 13, we see this and we get a picture of the difference between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. The first coming of Christ, he came in docile as a baby. You know, you could pat him and burp him. That, that's not how it's going down the second time. And when he, when he comes the second time, it says he comes on a cloud, which has to do with the glory, the presence of God. It says that he's sitting on that cloud, which carries out the idea that he is waiting for the proper time. It says that he has a crown on his head. This is not big ball of diadems crown. This is the Stephanus, which means the, which means the victor's crown, that he is the one who was victorious in battle. He is coming to fight. And whenever he comes to fight, he will be victorious. Now, this language here, he has already introduced, Jesus introduced us to this language in the Gospels when he told us about this harvest and about how things were to come. Now, I want you to notice, it says about this time that he's sitting there, he's sitting on this cloud, the one, the son of man, and it says that it was ripe. Verse 16 says it was ripe. Now, that, that word for ripe is not what you think. Just by show of hands, how, how many of you in here, when you eat your banana, you like it with little spots on it? Let, let me see my banana with a few spots. Anybody say, okay. How many say, I don't want a spot at all? Give me that, give me that thing. Okay, fantastic. We got a lot of folks that say, I like to eat it when it's not ripe. Or however long you wait, right? You know, there is a, a point where you don't want to go. That makes sense. <laughs> there is a point where it's oozing and it looks like an abscess or something coming out of that thing. 
And it's only good to make banana bread with it. That makes sense what I'm trying to take. Now, this word ripe here is a very, a very important one because what it doesn't mean ready. Because a lot of times when we say ripe, we mean ripe to eat, like it's ready to go. This word right means it's actually past the point. It's past the point of usefulness. And so when you read this, it's this harvest, the idea of sinful man and what has been going on, they are past the point of usefulness. And it is time to take them out. And we see that that is exactly what's going to happen. This idea of sickle, don't miss it. This is, uh, when you think of the Grim Reaper, you know, long stick, sickle, curved edge blade, move to be able to chop things down. That that's, that's this. And so it's a judgment. It's not necessarily a harvest into a relationship, loving relationship with the Lord. This is a judgment for unbelief and separation. And so when we look at this, that the angels here, they give a message. We see that they come out. One comes out from the temple. We already read that. And he has a sharp sickle. So he helps with the process of this judgment. We see another, he comes from the altar, which if you remember, the altar is the place of the prayers of the saints where God is answering these prayers. All these years where the saints have been praying for God to bring justice and vindication. And we see this. But Jesus had already warned us. And I just want us to look at these two passages and I want to close with the fourth, fifth, and sixth angel. In Matthew 13, 24 through 30, this is what it says. Jesus presented another parable to them saying the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his, his, his men were sleeping, his what enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. Let me, let me just tell you, how, how, this is the parable of the wheat and the tares. And I know we in the country here, we, we're in an agricultural place. And the way in which you can tell, did you notice it said the wheat, it sprouted up and it bore grain. Did you catch that? And it says, then the tares became evident. So here's the teaching here, how, how you can tell the difference between a wheat and a tear. It's the same way in which you, Jesus is going to be able to tell the difference between those who know him and who don't know him. You see, they look very similar. And for a time, they look almost identical. But as the grain in the head of wheat begins to mature, it begins to lean over because it gets heavy. As the grain matures, it leans over. But the tear, it doesn't have anything, and it stands straight up, proud. And so the thing about it is whenever you, when you come, the closer you get, to God, the higher you get, the wheat, it bows low, the humbler you get. But the tear, it keeps standing up, standing up, standing up, straight and tall. And so it's proud. And that's the difference. We see there was the issue with Satan in the very beginning in the angelic celestial battle. We see that it's the problem now whenever people don't want to surrender and give their life to the Lord, the pride to not be willing to surrender and to submit to him. And so what we see is these individuals are going to be too proud. They have connected to the false prophet. They have connected to the beast. They want to do things their own way. And so we see from this parable the distinction. How do we know? Now, let's just keep reading here now. It says the tares, they became evident. Notice it says the slaves of the landowner, they came and they said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How is it then that it has become tares? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. They said to him, do you, do you want us then to go and to gather them up? But he said, no. For while you are gathering the tares, you might uproot the wheat with them. It says, allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, 
I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles. Notice this, to what? Burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now the disciples heard this and they like y'all and me today. Can you explain that to me? Okay, let's just do that. Verses 36 to 43, quickly. Then he left the crowds and went into the house and his disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the tares of the fields. And he said, I'm so glad you asked. The one who sows the good seed is who? We, we read that anywhere in our text. Son of man. And the field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. And the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are the angels. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all the stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the son in the kingdom of their father. He who has an ear, let him hear. Now, Jesus in his parable, he, what he was describing there, we are reading here. What he was describing there, we are reading here. Now understand the, 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 the picture changes because now we see in, in this one, the wheat and tares, we don't see all this, this language of blood and all those things. And so now we see the reaping, the movement, the second piece has to do with grapes and to the, and the be able to put them in the wine press. And you know how to make wine. You get the grapes, you put them in the press and people get in there and they jump around and they have a good time, right? And then all the juice begins to flow out. There are two basins. That one you get in and you step in and you squish them, squish them, squish them and the juice comes out. And then you let that ferment, and then that's where you get the wine. So what our picture here is of is that these angels, they will go forth. We already saw it. We saw the one that came out of the temple. We already saw it, the one that comes out from the altar, the one that has the other one that comes out of the temple. And it says that they swung the sickle. And in this decision, in this doing, verse 20, and it says the wine press, it trods outside the city and blood, it came out from the wine press. And it came up to the horse bridle. If you, I don't ride horses, don't intend to ride on one. But when you look, this is about four feet high. And it says 180 miles. Now, there's some, some debate about whether or not this means that that's just the blood is going to flow like that. It's going to be so many millions of people. This is a slaughter. Or the fact that the blood is going to be splattering that high whenever this battle takes place. And the Lord... Did I hear what I said? The Lord, Jesus Christ, will be slaying and the angels will be slaying these individuals who have not surrendered their life to him. And this battle, this battle, 180 miles, that, that's how big, how, how vast it will be. And so when we read this, we will see this in chapter 19. He gives us a warning here. So this morning, I'm trying to get to a closing point because we could keep on rolling. But can I tell you the question that I have as I close is that it's a question of whether or not you want God's justice or you want his grace. You see, a lot of times we cry and we ask for justice, but can I just tell you, 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 when you see this, you see him bringing all things to their proper conclusion. But can I tell you, at this point in your life and in my life, we should be appealing to his grace. 
Because there's going to come a time where his justice is going to flow. And it's going to bring about great, great loss. I want to close by reading Isaiah 13, verse 11 through, uh, verse 11 through 13, and then we'll close and have time of reflection and prayer. Isaiah 13, 11 through 13, it says this. Don't let this shock you now. Thus I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will also put an end to the arrogance of the proud and, and abase the haughtiness of the ruthless. I will make mortal men, you know, they, they will scurry the, the pure gold. I, notice this, and mankind, and the, the gold of, of Ophir. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken from its place and the fury of the Lord of hosts in the day of his burning anger. So what we have before us is this understanding that we, we don't have the, the luxury of having a buffet faith. It's, it's right here and it's real. And our Lord has laid out for us that it's either we experience his grace or we will experience his wrath. And the beautiful thing is that today, while it's still called today, if you hear this, you have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to turn to him. You have an opportunity to surrender to him. You have an opportunity. Let, let me just tell you, some people say, you're trying to scare us. If that works. <laughs> I'm just trying to lay out to you what the Bible has already declared. And I promise you, that nobody that's separated from the Lord will say whenever they are separated from him, the reasons why they are separated, the things that they desire, the sinful lifestyle that they wanted to have, it will not be worth it. I'm telling you, it will not be worth it. But everybody who has given their life to the Lord, following him, the things they've gone through, can I tell you, every time it will be worth it. So this morning, what about you? Have you surrendered to the Lord? Will you pray with me? Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. And Lord, there's so much in this passage. So much. But Lord, I pray that we as believers will be encouraged that, Lord, you are working, you are moving. And Lord, we don't have to wonder how things are going to conclude. We don't have to guess, Lord, you you have already shown us, you've already told us. And so, Lord, I pray that we would allow the information that we know that is future to change the way in which we live currently in the present. That, Lord, we will be thinking about the people that we love and that love us, that don't know you. The people that are all around this world that don't know you. And, Lord, that we would orient our life to be serious about declaring and proclaiming the good news. That, Lord Jesus, you came and you died and you were buried and that you rose. And that, Lord, by your mercy, not by any deeds that we have done in the flesh or in righteousness, but, Lord, it was by your mercy, Lord, that we would unapologetically, with sincerity and courage, proclaim that message. Lord, it's easy to get distracted by so many things in our lives. But, Lord, I pray you to remind us of our purpose. Lord, that you're working and you're changing lives right now. You're changing lives right now, Lord. And I just pray there's anyone here, they've never given their life to you, Lord Jesus, that they would surrender to you.
that God, they would, they would understand what's at stake, their, their eternity, their soul, and the Lord, that they would follow you. As we go into this time of reflection and prayer, as we sing about how good you are and what you've done, that, Lord, you would move and work in our lives. That, Lord, in the midst of these difficulties, just like our brothers, the saints, they went through difficulties, Lord, but you said it's, it's, it's a blessing. That, Lord, even when we die, Lord, blessed. I hope God spoke to you during the message today. We want to know about it. You can fill out a connection card at wordbaptist.com slash connection card. We want to help you through any spiritual questions you may have while you're on this journey. You see, we believe that the first step is for a person to give their life to Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear that the greatest need that humanity has is to be saved. And that the only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ. If you will agree with God that you need him for the forgiveness of your sins and you will turn to him in repentance and believe in him, uh, you will be saved. The Bible says that you do this by one, believing that Jesus Christ died and was raised from the dead and that you believe that his payment is sufficient for you, that you will call out to him as Lord and Savior. He will save you. If you're listening to the service and do not have a church home, we would love for you to come and be our guest during a time of worship. We have multiple services. We would love to meet you personally and have you here for worship. You can check us out at wordbaptist.com for service time. If you've missed any sermons, they're all archived there online, so you can go back and watch them. You can connect with us on social media at Word Baptist. If you would like to invest in the ministry and continue the spread of the gospel, you can give online at wordbaptist.com give. I'm so grateful that you've joined us today, and I hope you've learned something that you can apply to your life, and we hope to see you again next time right here at Word Baptist Church.